Charles didn't have just any coronary artery disease. He had Charles's coronary artery disease. Michelle didn't have just any heart attack. She had Michelle's heart attack. At VCU Health Poly Heart Center, we know every heart is unique. And as Virginia's only nationally ranked heart program, we'll keep them beating healthy and strong. VCU Health Poly Heart Center. Learn more at vcuhealth.org heart. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I, dot com. There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Charles didn't have just any coronary artery disease. He had Charles's coronary artery disease. Michelle didn't have just any heart attack. She had Michelle's heart attack. At VCU Health Poly Heart Center, we know every heart is unique. And as Virginia's only nationally ranked heart program, we'll keep them beating healthy and strong. VCU Health Poly Heart Center. Learn more at vcuhealth.org slash heart. All right, ladies. So we have such a cool event coming up that I wanted to let you all know about. On September 10th, coming up super quickly at 5 p.m. Eastern, we're having our very special guest, Kendra Bracken Ferguson. You may have heard her name. If you haven't, you probably should have. She is the co-founder of Digital Brand Architects, otherwise known as DBA. She built the first revenue-generating network for talent. Um, it evolved from a blogger management company into a global marketing agency, and that is what DBA is today. After her time at DBA, she went on to found another company, Braintrust, which is a full-service agency that she's at today. They drive the digital brand strategy and online media presence for talent and brands. Um, they're working with people like Halle Berry, Sally Beauty, Dear Drew by Drew Barrymore, like really amazing, incredible people. And she's a really talented woman. So we are super excited to have her join us for this event, which is called Be a Brand Builder. So check out our website, iamwim.com events for more information. Elena Kamiski is a strategist at Hill Holiday, where she leads digital, social, and influencer strategy across brands in women's healthcare, mental health, and insurance. Elena brings a fresh take to her clients' business challenges, allowing her to set progressive social and digital strategies. Prior to joining Hill Holiday, Elena was the Associate Director of Influencer Marketing at AMP Agency, a department she both created and led. During her tenure, she launched and led award-winning campaigns while bringing new business into the agency. She focused primarily on CPG and shopper marketing campaigns, but also worked with brands across a variety of industries, including Tyson, L'Oreal, Mission Foods, and more. During her tenure at AMP, she was a two-time recipient of Progressive Grocer's Top Women in Industry. Before AMP, Elena was a business development rep at Grapevine Logic, where she quickly learned that her passion in the influencer marketing industry was contagious to prospective clients and colleagues alike. At Grapevine, Elena worked primarily in the beauty, fashion, and lifestyle space with today's biggest names in YouTube like Nikki Tutorials and Kathleen Lights. She brought in over 100 clients to the business, including FabFitFun, It Cosmetics, Home Chef, NYX, and many more. Elena's prior life also includes opening up not one, but two successful restaurants and working in the nonprofit sector. Elena also volunteers her time as editor-in-chief of Young Women in Digital and as a member of the Influence 
Influencer Marketing Association and a longstanding member of Women in Influencer Marketing. Welcome to the podcast, Elena. Elena, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. How's your day going so far? Thank you. It's good. Happy that it's Friday. It's Friday. It's like the best time to record these is on Friday. So like everyone's generally in a better mood. <laughs> End of the day Friday. Looking forward yes. to the weekend. Yes. And you are quarantining from the Cape, right? I am. That's... Been really enjoying that this summer. Nice to be quarantining. So nice. Like good for you, man. And you got married during quarantine. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's yep, been a crazy quarantine, but lots happened. A lot of good stuff. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. We got to celebrate the good stuff, know. you know? So it's good stuff is good to hear. You're making be- the best of it. Yeah, 100%, as you should be. Um, it's a heavy time. You got to like it find really the little is. moments and anything that you can. So congratulations, getting married. Very exciting. And, you. you know, we have known each other now for quite a bit, and it's so cool to see where you're at now, which is Hill Holiday. Um, so I'm very familiar with Hill Holiday in my like previous life working with actors. I had worked with Hill Holiday, but for those listening who may not know about them and should know about Hill Holiday, you want to tell us a little bit about your agency? Yeah, definitely. So Hill Holiday is a full service advertising agency, part of the IPG family. They own a bunch of different, um, agencies across the U S and the world. And we work both with, you know, general consumer brands as well as healthcare brands. So I am primarily focused within the healthcare space and helping to find those deep insights that turn into impactful campaigns for patients and caregivers and, you know, try to help people's lives. Which is huge because when you think about influencer marketing and like the, the core in its purest form, what it does Um, I mean, it's all about word of mouth and, you know, really impacting people's lives and um, sharing experiences. So I can only imagine that there's such a use case in in healthcare and pharmaceuticals and and stuff like that. So I'm really intrigued by having you on today because we haven't really talked about this too, too much in the podcast um, and there's a lot to it. So where do we begin? I, I, I guess maybe a good starting point is I don't know. I'd love to hear a little bit about the types of influencers that sort of work best for some of your pharma clients. So it really depends, I would say, on the type of client and what role the influencer is playing. We do a lot of TV and for TV, um, it tends to be more of an awareness play and using celebrities for that. But for clients and brands that are more niche and focused on rare diseases or something along those lines. It's really, you know, real patients, the micro influencers who can tell their stories and really make a difference for people who are in the same boat as them. Because with health, it's so scary when you're going through something and hearing someone else's experience and that shared perspective is really powerful. So micro influencers, I think in the pharma space in general are really important to just making that human connection and the storytelling component. 100%. You know, I've worked, I've seen influencers um, who have like diabetes, for example. I mean, it's such a, like any um, health condition, whether it's, you know, a health condition or just like some sort of um, maybe like we've talked about like IUDs or birth control. I mean, that's in that space too. Like anything that you use, um, it's such a personal thing. And of course you're going to have a lot of opinions about it. I mean, I just think of like, you know, me and my girlfriends as we're like, getting, you know, dinner. Well, this is, you know, months ago when we were getting <laughs> dinner, but when we're reconnecting, this is what, you know, some women talk about. I don't know how much men talk about those sort of things, but certainly things that women share with each other. And just like, Hey, this worked for me. Like, I want to pay it forward. I want to suggest this thing. And like, this is something that I experienced perhaps in my everyday life. So how beneficial it was to me. So I guess I, I definitely see the power that it can bring. Um, I love to hear a little bit about, the, the difficulties of working with influencers specifically in this space, because I can only imagine there's a lot of regulation, perhaps some red tape and just some, a lot of nuances about it, right? Yeah, it's definitely a whole different world. 
So when I joined the team, my past experience with farm in particular was very slim. I had done campaigns for a few over-the-counter pharmaceutical brands, and I thought the legal there was complicated. But when you're going into the prescription world, there is so much to it because not only with influencers are you having to follow FTC guidelines, but you're also having to follow FDA guidelines. So anytime you make a claim about what a prescription medication does, it has to have um, what they call fair balance. And basically, if you say that something is however effective it is, it needs to then be balanced. It gets even trickier because you're, you know, you're governed by the FTC as well as the FDA. And with the FDA and uh, prescription medications, it's very strict. So working with influencers, you either really have to take an unbranded approach and make it more of an awareness play on the condition or if the influencer is going to be speaking about the product itself or making any claims about the product, there's a lot of safety information that has to go into it. Any claim has to be balanced. Um, So if you're saying that something is convenient and it's a set it and forget it type of method that then has to be balanced with like, but you need to do monthly checks or something along those lines. So everything has to have that equal weight of, benefit to what potentially bad could happen with medications just because with prescription medications everybody reacts so differently to it and then another added component to it is community management for pharmaceutical brands anytime anyone really anywhere says anything about a reaction that they've had or their experience with the product it needs to be reported to the FDA. So when working with influencers, it gets a little tricky with the comments section, DMs that they receive. So some brands will choose to deactivate comments when running influencer content and others will leave the comment section open, but you need to check daily essentially for any comment that is related to the product or a potential adverse reaction or event and report that to the FDA. So definitely gets a little bit more complicated there than your, you know, your standard consumer product campaign. Yeah, it sounds it. And, you know, I mean, how interesting is I So I guess my question is like from the influencer's perspective, I would be curious, like, how scripted it ends up sounding, right? Because there is so much regulation, what you can say, what you can't say, it almost sounds like if an influencer just wants to sort of create a caption or a video that's sort of like off the cuff, there has to be some sort of, like you're saying, you have to include fair balance. You have to, you know, there's talking points. Does that sound accurate? Is that sort of what it's like that it's, it has to be scripted to some extent? A hundred percent. It's very different than working with influencers in other industries, just because of the legal complexities of it. I've found so far with just my personal experience um, working with influencers in the pharmaceutical space, it's a lot more of production-based content. So working really closely with the influencer beforehand, potentially, you know, having your own producers and all of that with the influencers. And then the editing and all of that is usually done in-house by the agency just because of the nature of the business. Whereas in other industries, it's much more organic. Influencer creates their content, sends it to you for approval, and then they post it. And client or the brand doesn't have as much of a heavy hand in the content editing and creation process. Totally. And I get that. And it almost sounds to me, and you've mentioned like, you know, production, you've mentioned, um, you know, TV. It, I mean, it almost sounds like this is so, like the nature of it and ever, and the culmination sort of, it's like the big leagues. It's like working, you're not going to be working with an influencer that like, this is their first campaign. So I try to ask this question as much as, as I can, like this type of influencer sounds like difficult to find. And, and when they do, it sounds like they could be incredibly valuable to you if they understand your process and what you need. And they're just like, seamless to work with. So how do you guys find your influencers? Like, and you know, what's your process of continuing to work with people once you find some good ones? 
So, you know, it's really interesting. We have within Hill Holiday Health, there's quite a few brands who have big celebrity partnerships that either are on the newer front or they've had for years and they've all come across in really organic ways. Um, one in particular was for a psoriasis client of ours and a celebrity actually had just reached out to the company and let them know that their product changed her life and that she would love to work with them on something. And that's been a long running partnership year after year. And it's been incredibly successful. And I think with this space in particular, the recruiting and finding the right influencers, it's so much more nuanced and important because they truly have to have that connection for it to make sense and work because it's such a personal decision when it comes to your health. So on other brands, when you know we're looking for someone new, it's usually reaching out to managers or working with a casting agency and looking to see if the celebrities previously spoken about this, a condition or a specific medication or has a relation in their family with it. Say if a celebrity has had experience with a family member having breast cancer, there could be a partnership opportunity there. It just look at someone and know it's definitely a deeper vetting process. Yeah, it sounds like it for sure. And so I guess, you know, I'm curious, like every company works so differently. And I think it's so cool personally, because I come from the more traditional media world, I think it's very cool when I hear of more traditional agencies that incorporate influencer marketing. Like they're really keeping up with the times. They're obviously recommending current things to their clients. So it's so cool to hear that you guys are doing that great work. And, you know, since everybody works differently, I'm always very curious, especially some of the more traditional agencies like yours. It's like, okay, so like, what's your process for even finding the influencers? Like, do you guys keep it in house? Do you out source it? Do you just implement some, some of those tools that are out there on the, in the marketplace? Um, so can you get a little bit more specific about the process? Yeah. So it is different from client to client. So depending on the client and the way that their organization is structured, they might have an agency who does all of their celebrity and casting that we would work with them to find the right people or if they don't have that and they want us to take the approach of finding it, my experience there has been great because I worked at a previous agency where we use a bunch of different platforms and casting managers and I have those existing relationships. So doing a lot of outreach to my connections and trying to find the right people, it's like a needle in a haystack, but it really depends on the client and what their process is because some clients have like six different agencies or more that they work with for different pieces of their overall marketing strategy. Totally. And I firsthand experienced that. So like, you know, you're a strategist now. And so like in the ideal situation, what would you suggest someone like, all right, if you're looking for influencers and you know, they're pretty unique, like the needle in a haystack example that you made, what approach would you recommend that they make uh, or that they take? I would recommend the first thing they do would be to try to find people who are already organically talking about it. It's pretty easy to search a hashtag or something along those lines and see who comes up and find people who are already talking about whatever it may be or social listening tools and going about it that way first, just to get a sense of what's out there. And then if you're looking for larger talent, like somebody of, say it's a celebrity, then definitely working with a casting agency who can use their relationships and their knowledge of all of that to be able to figure out who might be appropriate for this, who uses this product, who's on this birth control, who may have a family member or themselves have psoriasis or breast cancer or whatever it may be. So I think starting first, if you're looking for, you know, more of the traditional influencer, organically social listening, and then casting agencies when you need that large talent. Can you drop any names of companies that you've used in the past that have really, really come through for you? I'd love to give credit where credit is due. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, Four Minute Influencer Marketing, just that community has been for the past like four or five years, such an incredible resource for me. But Activate is one that I think is always phenomenal to work with. Four has been really great for the type of requests where, because they're able to survey the communities ahead of time and they'll do that upfront work and let you know if, you know, they have the right people for you. So you don't want to go and work with a platform and then come to find out that nobody, none of the talent on the platform has what you need them to have or the right passion for it. So they've been really great at putting those lists together and serving their network for us and kind of doing the upfront work. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, Activate was actually just acquired. So shout out to, uh, to Activate for that recent news. Congratulations. Um, that's amazing. I worked with them for years. I have a special place in my heart for them. <laughs> for sure. I mean, they started out as blog loving back in the day, if you're really going back far oh, enough. Yeah. Um, and then four, you know, we had someone from uh, their company recently on our podcast and they're an incredible company too. What I hear from that is like, if you listen to this podcast enough, you know, I'm like a little obsessed with automations, right? And there's a certain level of like social listening tools and just, you know, automations that can be built and tools that can be used to identify the correct influencers for you. However, I wanted to specifically ask you guys about this because you're in a market where it's incredibly niche. Like you can't have somebody phone it in if they've used this product before. Like you need to really, really vet these people. So in order to do so, I'm just wondering if these tools can be fully operated operational for you guys, like fully effective for you guys. It sounds like there has to be a manual component of it. Maybe the initial searches could be somewhat computer generated, what have you, but like inevitably there has to be a personal touch to be able to like more fully vet these people, right? A hundred percent. And with this, that's probably where when I first came in was the biggest change for me because you can't just go on a platform. And I did a lot of work in shopper marketing where location is really important. And there are so many tools out there that are so great for that, where you need to know an influencer who's based in a certain state and has an audience in a certain state. And you can find that with automation so easily. And with this, it's not the same because you need relationships and you need to have conversations and gauge comfort level about talking about these topics. And there's so much more that goes into it that it's definitely a different process. It's a much longer term process. It's not just a quick one-off campaign that you can execute within a couple of weeks. I can only imagine also like if you guys have the time, because that's what it would require to really like build up a pipeline of sorts too. So like not when you're necessarily immediately looking to cast, you know, a project, but, you know, just saying like, all right, this is a longstanding client of ours. And, you know, it is, it could be a really difficult uh, a really, you know, a big challenge to find people. So like, we're going to more passively add people to our pipeline just to be able to like have them on, on deck for when we do need to activate them. Right. A hundred percent. And, you know, I have worked with you a bit on that for um, birth control brands that I work on. And it's one of those things that everyone on the team when they're on social media and they happen to see someone mention it, we take a screenshot, record it, make sure we have that person's name written down for the future. Um, it's one of those things that you kind of always keep your eye out because if they're talking about it organically already, they are likely to be a great fit because it's not, not everybody uses their social pages to talk about healthcare or birth control or is comfortable talking about those subjects. So you really want to work with someone who it, it seems natural and authentic and organic for their page, because if it's not, it's going to come off as those really cringy pharma sponsored ads that nobody wants to see on their feed. Super cringeworthy <laughs> of them. And I think that that's, you know, that's interesting too. I mean, our group is like so industry focused, but there are definitely influencers who are listening to this podcast at least. And I know from their perspective, they're a question that I've heard is, you know, 
do I post about a brand organically? Like if I really use them and I want to do a partnership with them, like, is it actually going to convert or are they just going to be like, well, she's already posting for free. Why would we ever pay her? I would love to hear your opinion on that. Um, because I, I don't know. I found that it, it, it just, it depends. There's not a one size fits all. And I think it depends on the brand, but what are your opinions on that? Um, I agree. I think it definitely depends on the brand. I have, in my experience, found that with especially my last role where the way our team was set up and our company was set up, we worked with tons and tons of different brands and they would sometimes come to us and be like, we know this person loves Dr. Pepper. We, we want her on the campaign. Like we need it to happen and they will pay whatever money it takes to get that person on a campaign because they know that this person genuinely loves their brand. Their audience knows that they genuinely love it. It's not going to come off as like just another sponsored posts. And I have also had clients where I sent them influencers and like, Hey, I noticed they've already mentioned you organically and it could be a great like natural fit. And they're like, Hmm, like, if they're already talking about us, let's get some new people talking about us. So it really depends on the client. And I think in this space, client education is so, so important, but it doesn't always work out the way you want it to. Totally. And so that's a question that I have. I mean, you know, especially in, in your type of a role, I think there, I, I can only imagine because I've never worked on your side of things. So like educate me a little bit. I, I can imagine that there's like a fine line that you dance, which is, you know, letting the client, you know, like, does the client know best or am I sort of stepping in and like helping guide them? I can only imagine that, it, of course, it depends on the client, but that it's, it's a constant dance around that relationship. But I guess my, my real question is, again, your perfect scenario, like your perfect client and given the expertise that you have, how would you advise them if they were, if you were working with somebody who was completely open to your feedback and would just be like, you're the expert, you know best, what, what should I do? Should I um, work with, should I start to, like, should I make an ambassador out of an influencer who organically posts about me? Or should I just say, you know, I want to get more people to post about me. Let that person continue doing what they're doing. What would you suggest? I would ask them what their goal is. I think with everything that you do, it needs to align with what the objective is. And that's one of the things that I have found to have the largest struggle with with clients is they'll have an idea and they'll really want to do something, but there is no why to why they want to do it. So it's really hard to measure whether or not it's successful and how to get them to where they want to be if they don't know where they want to be. So I think it really starts with building that relationship with your client, advising them, making sure that they're not just doing something to do it and that they're doing it with a goal in mind and have KPIs and objectives that they want to achieve because otherwise it's just noise. Totally. I respect that. And so like, let's talk a little bit about KPIs and objectives and stuff like that, because I, I don't know, we've talked about that so much on this podcast, but like, I, I think it's arguably one of the most important things to talk about, because if we can achieve those KPIs, if we could prove ROI, it's just going to increase the longevity of the work that we're doing, because it'll time after time prove its value. Um, so I, I like to ask people, you know, what they find expresses that the most, um, you know, in your experiences when it sounds like on the onset, it's so important to set those metrics um, from the onset to have clear expectations for your clients. However, at the end of uh, a project, um, what metrics do you guys look at to really measure a project's success? Um, that's a great question. I guess I'll answer this in a few different ways and it depends on the client and you know again what their objective was when i did a lot in the beauty space with youtubers that was always sales driven so 
we would be able to track um, end to end sales through last click pixels. And the ROI was always really measured in, in sales if that's what their goal was, but also in when you're you know, working on an e-commerce brand and they're just trying to drive online sales, you're, I would always want them to be tracking that and putting, pixeling their links so they're able to track those end-to-end conversions and see if the influencers and which influencers are really converting and driving sales for their business. But if it's a, a much more expensive product, you're not going to expect tons of sales. And it's more so first getting that awareness and interest in the product and to drive sales down the line because you don't make really expensive impulse purchases all the time the way that you do with a lipstick. So for something like that, I think it's important to look at engagement, but the valuable engagement. Um, I think every type of engagement there is holds a different value to it. A like doesn't really mean all that much. It's so easy to do as you're scrolling through. Whereas a comment, sure, comments are great, but you just look at the numbers and a post has thousands of comments on it, but none of them are related to your product. That's not too valuable. So really looking at the on-brand comments and the on-brand engagement and what conversation it's driving Um, I think for the farmer space in particular, the conversation drivers are really important and taking a look at that, taking a look at the exposure, the traffic it's driving to your site. Um, From there, are people actually, you know, engaging with your website and learning more about what your product is or what condition it treats. So again, it really goes back to what the goal is, but definitely looking at it far beyond just reach and engagement. Definitely. And I would also, you know, in your instance, it's unique in that your clients, I would assume, don't necessarily come to you for one sort of project. I mean, these are people that you're working with on a long-term basis. And so, you know, looking at it over time, um, is could be key as well. And I would assume that a company, even if a company, even if you're working with a brand on a one-off basis, you should be thinking about over time to try to retain that business over time. And I guess what I'm envisioning in that instance is, okay, like this is just the beginning. So maybe we want this sort of result here, but that should, you know, further uh, expand upon what we, what we want six months down the road and, and, and it'll be related to what we want, you know, in a year down the road in relation to all of these variety of things, just always thinking big picture. Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. And I think, um, depends on the way that company is structured. And if you're working as like an agency of record type relationship, you always want to be thinking about the long-term strategy. How do you achieve the goal for now? And how do you set up for the future. So with one of my clients, we have, they really were relaunching one of their products and they partnered with a celebrity that's been an ongoing relationship, I think for about a year, a little more now. And it, that was perfect for the time to really drive that awareness and get the brand out there, get the conversation started about women's health and talking about birth control, making sure people know what their options are and are having those conversations because it's so important. And more of that high level awareness piece, not only about the product itself, but about the category, about the importance of women's health and all of that. And then our plan has always been further down the line after you know year one or year two, bringing other types of influencers into the mix to really drive that lower funnel conversion and potentially lead to sales, get people to ask their doctor about the product by name Um, and using those smaller influencers who are still really engaged with their communities and are really outspoken about these topics. Whereas celebrities, I think are really great for that, you know, large scale awareness component, but you're following a celebrity on social media because 
you're just interested in their life. You're not necessarily following them because you really value their advice. You look to them for recommendations the way that you do with influencers, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's, that's huge. And that's so important to think about it like that. Um, I also want to just pick your brain a little bit about um, just your, your past, the other agencies that you've worked with historically are really interesting. And I think that that's one reason why I was like, oh no, it'd be amazing to have you on because you've worked, you know, you're working in such a hyper-specific use case right now with influencers in this pharmaceutical landscape. Um, but tell everyone listening a little bit about the influencers that you've worked with in, you know, at some of your past agencies and um, just so people can understand the breadth of experience that you have in this space. Definitely. So I actually, so I started working in the influencer space, I think it was 2014 or so when influencer marketing was definitely not what it is today. It was, people weren't talking about it as much. Not many brands were doing it yet. There were so many less uh, players in the space. And I work for a platform um, called Grapevine. And when I actually got the interview for that job, I was looking at their website and I couldn't figure out what like they were even doing. Like influencer marketing was such a foreign concept to me. And once it clicked, it really clicked for me. And I started there working in um, kind of a sales and business development role. And that was really interesting because at that time when we were reaching, I would be reaching out to brands to try to get them onto our platform and work with the influencers that were on the platform. It was always educating them about what influencer marketing even is and what its value is um, to a much larger degree than like even when I was in that role for a year and it, the space exploded. So I started kind of on the sales side at a platform dealing mostly with brands and then also helping them find the right influencers for them. Um, so that was my first kind of introduction into the space. And that was focused largely on beauty, fashion, and lifestyle clients. We worked with um, a lot of apps, actually, um, a lot of cosmetic companies and a lot of like the big beauty YouTubers. Um, that was really what that was focused on. And then I loved the space. I loved influencer marketing and I really believed in it, but I didn't want to be in sales forever. Um, I think I was really good at the sales role because I truly saw the value of what influencer marketing could do for a brand. And I got the opportunity to move over to an agency that was really focused on CPG and shopper marketing. So I moved over to that role where I got to build and grow out an influencer marketing team for the agency, which was an incredible experience. Um, I think that was for me in my career, just the biggest learning opportunity I've ever had because I came in, there wasn't really any process in place for executing campaigns for the clients. There wasn't much structure. So it was kind of coming in, figuring out what they were kind of like dabbling in and putting structure in place, you know, vetting all the vendors and platforms we were going to use and figuring out how to execute, best execute campaigns for our clients, which were, you know, all across the board in terms of industry, but focus in CPG. So, you know, we could be running a campaign for chicken at sold at Walmart, but also then be doing a campaign for a hair care brand sold at Ulta. So it was all sorts of different clients and uh, influencers that were needed. And that was really grounded in blog content with like social sharing involved. So two very different things. And then now moving over more to a role at Hill Holiday where it's overseeing more large scale strategy for brands, for social, digital, and kind of brand campaigns as well. So 
a broader ecosystem that still involves influencers, but it's not the vast majority of what I'm focusing my time on. And just like for you personally, you know, through your career path, um, how intentional was it to sort of transition from one of these phases to the other? And, um, you know, are you one who you want to soak up all these different areas of influencer marketing? And um, is there a specific type of influencer that, you know, or, or area of, of the market that you'd love to work with the most? I guess my real question is where you are today, how intentional was it to be doing the strategy piece at this point in your career versus, you know, this is just where you naturally found yourself career-wise? So it's a little bit of both. Um, For me, I am the kind of person who I need to be constantly, and I think this is why I love the industry so much because it's always evolving, but I need to be constantly learning something and just learning and growing and doing something new. And I think I got to the point where everything was almost robotic because it was at such a large scale and it was all mostly um, the work there was all IO based. So it was project based work and you weren't really building those deep, long relationships with clients where you can see the long-term impact of what you're doing. And for myself, I, wanted to really broaden my skill set beyond just influencer. I love influencer and I think I'll probably end up back in the space eventually, but I wanted to be, have the skills and grow in a, you know, in a broader direction and be able to plan out and strategize campaigns that weren't just influencer. Influencers may be one tactic there, but really starting from the beginning for a client and mapping out their customer journey, doing the research and figuring out, you know, what their business problems are and how we're going to solve them and what tactics we're going to use. So for me personally, it was um, a strategic decision in, in the sense that I wanted to grow, expand my skill set, and be more valuable as an employee in the future. Yeah. I love that. I think that a lot of women listening to this podcast and maybe all the women in WIM, you know, they're trying to navigate their careers and, you know, some of them are just starting out. Some of them are, you know, even more senior than you and I. Um, And I'm just always sort of personally fascinated by how much of the career of your career journey and the general you, how much of your career journey is like super intentional and strategic and using, you know, networking and as much of your like prowess as possible. And then how much of it is sort of like, you know, you take it as it comes and you sort of end up where you are. And perhaps it's just a, whatever your outlook is on your life in general. But I'm always sort of curious to hear um, how you architected your personal career path. Um, and, you know, and sort of if you had your, your choice, like, you know, what, what is this such a, I hope this is a cool question for you. You know, where do you see yourself in like 20 years from now? You know, like, do you think that maybe you'll be bitten by an entrepreneurial bug or do you feel like, you know, you, you love agency life? Do you want to maybe, I don't know. I don't want to fill in the blanks for you. Like, where do you see yourself, you know, as you're even more senior in your career, what would you like to do? So I'll start from kind of the beginning of what you asked and I'll get there. So my journey definitely didn't start out intentionally. I, fell into influencer marketing. Like I mentioned, I was looking for a job and applied to this company. I didn't really even realize what influencer marketing was. And then I fell in love with it. And I got to a point where I was scared that I was going to get pigeonholed into like only knowing influencer marketing and just where I live before everybody was okay with remote workers there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity and I'm somebody who does like to think ahead and think about what my, you know, where I want to be and what my trajectory looks like. And I wanted to stay based in Boston and knowing that I felt like I needed to be expanding my skill set outside of just influencer instead of focusing in on just that one 
component of what a brand is doing and looking at the whole picture. I'm loving what I'm doing right now. I'm like, I started at Hill a little over a year ago and I'm learning so much still. Um, so it's really cool to be able to just see the full picture um, of what a brand is doing and strategize on how it's all going to work together and what purpose every piece of, you know, the marketing puzzle solves. But I definitely think that I may be bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. I'm not sure. I don't see myself like a lifetime agency person. Um, I think I would like to eventually end up brand side. I think working for just a brand that I'm really passionate about. Totally. Bringing the experience I've had with, you know, so many clients that I've worked on and bringing that in-house somewhere and really helping a brand build themselves. And I hear that so often (laughs) Um, (laughs) from those who work at agencies and who love working at agencies. So I don't even think this is like a knock to that. So I hope it doesn't come across that way at all. Um, But I hear that so often from women in the group and I've never worked at an ad agency before. So like, what is it about what you envision would be different? Um, by working in-house versus working at an agency? Um, I would say it's just like when you're working at an agency, you become basically an extension of your clients. So it's not that you're not as invested, but you're pulled in a lot of different directions. I think agencies are a phenomenal place to be. They're always fast paced. You're always doing something different and whether that's working on pitches, working with, you know, you might be on one client or you might be spread across different clients. It's a really fast paced environment. It's an incredible place to learn, grow, figure out what, you know, what it is that you love about the marketing advertising industry. And there are some people who, you know, thrive in that environment and really want to be in that environment forever and other people who end up finding themselves I guess or finding what they want to do with their career through an agency and then I think to be able to go in-house and apply that to a brand there's so much value you can bring and personally for me I've worked at startups and large companies and I really like that entrepreneurial scrappy feel that you get when you're working um, at a smaller company and kind of more startup-y. And I feel like for myself personally, taking the experiences I have and going to work for a brand, it would have to be a brand that I'm really passionate about, not just like any brand. Um, I would, I think it would just be great to be part of the team growing that business and really being invested in that brand, that client, that product, whatever it may be. I love that. And I think this is such a natural segue to one of our last questions of uh, this episode. We ask this of everybody who comes on. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. What do you wish someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or a personal advantage today? I would say um, just advocate for yourself. Don't be afraid to speak up. People want to hear your opinions, even if you're, you know, at the bottom of the totem pole. And if you have ideas and you're not sharing them, then nobody will know how capable you are. And just always advocate for yourself and make sure that you're valued where you are. And I've um, had the luxury of having some incredible female mentors throughout my career that I really think have helped shape who I am as an employee and where I want to go in my career and have really embodied, you know, a strong woman in a leadership role where they're not going to sugarcoat things and apologize for things. They're going to, you know, they're going to be straightforward and some people might say that 
like might be afraid of them or might call them a bitch. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but um, I've- You're allowed to say that on this right. podcast, yes. <laughs> Excellent. You but, you know, learning from women like that and seeing that, I think starting out, when I was first starting out in my professional life, that was really empowering for me. And yeah, just make sure you're advocating for yourself, making sure you're valued, making sure you're not dumbing yourself down or being afraid to speak up in a room full of men or whoever. That's good stuff. That's really, really good stuff. Um, You're very fortunate to have had mentors that you've had. Um, it's, it's a really incredible thing to have experienced, I'm sure. Um, and, you know, one thing that we're doing at WIM, which is really, I think it's hugely important to mention, we've had a few women like yourself who have said, like, I've been very fortunate enough and ha- or, or have like sought out mentors and I've had that mentorship and like kudos to you for going after that or finding yourself in that situation. However, there are a lot of women in this group that are looking for mentorship. So um, a couple things on that. One, once we launch our premium membership, uh, we have sought out some of our more senior members and are including them as like official mentors in WIM. So more on that. Um, And for anyone listening who may have really been inspired by what you've had to say today um, and might be looking for a bit of mentorship in you, um, how should our women reach out and and get in touch if they want to touch base with you? Definitely. Um, I think your mentorship program is going to be amazing for so many people. So I'm excited for that to officially launch. And um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram, um, elena.comiskey, or feel free to email me. My email address is elena.skletsky at gmail.com. Perfect. And we will link all of those in the show notes for this episode. Um, It's been such a pleasure having you on today. I'm so happy that you joined us. Um, So thank you. Thank you for having me. This was great. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments. So comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week. For confidence in your financial plan, look for a CFP professional. When your financial advisor earns the CFP certification, it means he or she is trained to provide ethical financial planning across a holistic range of topics, from retirement and investing to taxes and estate planning, all in your best interest. So with a CFP professional, you'll feel confident in your financial plan today and tomorrow. Three letters do make a difference. Visit letsmakeaplan.org to find your CFP professional. There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.